0: Good afternoon. This is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is the 17th. Some of you may know this day as St. Patrick's Day. Michael, how are you on this most festive of all days?
1: Sober as a judge, Gary. Sober as a judge. But that won't last long. We're at we're, we're we're organising a mass or, orgiastic explosion of misbehaviour shortly.
0: That's good to hear you've scheduled it all in to one day.
1: Well, you know, we we like to do uh, what we can to maintain our ancient Christian traditions on the island, being a feast day, today, and therefore we are not bound by the uh, fasting and the abstinence that would normally pertain to the Lenten season.
0: So because there's uh, obviously there are protests planned for today, uh, which everyone, I think, has been very strongly told not to attend, and the police are talking about, you know, rings of steel around the city.
1: <laughs> rings of steel. Do you remember the last time, or maybe, I know it wasn't the first time that was ever used, but the last time that I can remember that being in common usage was when a very well reviewed, uh, <laughs> a very well reviewed history of the, ste- the Siege of Stalingrad. Uh, was was out and about, and the phrase "rigid steel" seemed to be in every review. And you know what, Gary? I am willing to put down five a whole five euro note bet that the Guardian will not be imi- will not be imitating the uh, siege of Stalingrad. I, I I have a funny feeling it won't be quite the same thing.
0: No, I mean I don't expect the police will be you know, hanging children from lampposts Just don't see it coming. But then you wouldn't until it happens, would you? You wouldn't, you know. You know, mm. kids can be very annoying. They can be very annoying. Just on the the subject of the protest, just a, a small little note that I, I don't think has may have been reported. We may have mentioned it before, but just a reminder. So, uh, Lekela, the anti-fascist group, it's a they say they're a cross-sectoral alliance working together to challenge the far right in Ireland.
1: Yeah, God, that must keep them busy. It
0: gives them a really good chance to have. Nearly personal scrutiny on all 12 members of the Federal right yeah. in Ireland.
1: Yeah, everybody gets divvied out. A member of the far right. Who's watching Charlie tonight? I don't know. I think Bill is.
0: But anyway, the, the thing I want to mention is Nicola at the start of the month, retweeted some stuff which sounded like, I would say, a clear political call to violence. One of them said that, look, they were talking about the protest that happened in Dublin. And they said that the establishment won't pose any opposition to the far right, but will actually enable them. We can sit around and complain about this, or we can organise to stop them. We need to gather our forces now and sweep them off the streets when the time comes. Get involved with Likela. Another one said, the last few days have shown us we cannot depend upon the media or the state to prevent the growth of the far right. Neither the Gardaí, the courts, the panel shows, nor the ballot box will beat them. We need a mass anti-racist plus anti-racist or anti-fascist movement support Lakela. Now, that may have been coloured by the fact it was said by Conor Reddy, who was a People Before Profit candidate, and narrowly missed out on becoming a TD Michael, so he may just be unhappy with the ballot boxes generally.
1: Still, you know, they still, don't hold on, hold. Somebody who was not uh, that far away from being elected a member of uh, Dáil Aaron was saying, in a group which is made up of a number of different groups, some of which at least are funded by the taxpayer, Is it? The judici the, the judiciary, the elected government, the democratic elected government, and the guardi are insufficient, and it's up to them to take action. Must or the, the previous one must to first get together our forces
0: and sweep them off the street. You wouldn't expect any difference. However, I reached out to the member organisations of La and said, oh, well, I reached out to the respectable member organisations of La the ones who you would expect to not agree with this view. The ones that have to pretend not to agree with this view. Yeah, the ones that are funded by the state. Exactly. And I put to them, this looks like a call for political violence. Are you happy to reaffirm your support for this group, given that they appear to be calling for political violence? I didn't receive any responses, Michael, which is not surprising, because any group that was likely to go into La is not going to be fond of gripped, Or oversight, I would say, in any way. But interestingly enough, and this is why I bring it up today in relation to the protests, some of the groups that are involved in this, you've got ones like Tenai, the the transgender crowd, don't know why they're involved in anti-fascism work, but there you go, Union of Students in Ireland, the National Women's Council of Ireland, but the one that I thought was particularly interesting, the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Yes. I would have thought the Irish Council for Civil Liberties would take a low uh, view of phrases like, you know, the courts and the ballot box aren't enough and the guards aren't enough and we've got to sweep them off the street. I don't see the ICCL supporting that action was it applied to groups that they liked.
1: Well, you could say that, Gary, I wouldn't possibly comment. Would imply that the ICCL was in some sense partial or interested in its dealings.
0: And of course then you had, you know, your, your Sinn Féin, your Social Democrats, your independent left, they're all involved. Pave Point, Peter McVeary Trust.
1: So it's the usual suspects.
0: The one I, I found particularly interesting was uh, Rohingya Action Ireland, because obviously their whole thing is no to uh, the use of political force. Never got back to me, though. But anyway, just on uh, as you know, there's a big protest out. I just wanted to mention that the ICCL is a member organisation of a group which called for people to be swept off the street. and I would say again, the clear use of political violence. So just, as I said, I just wanted to mention that because, you know, there are protests, there are likely to be police action, there will be, um, presumably, issues that will arise that one would expect groups interested in civil liberties to be uh, commenting on. And so I just wanted to remind people of the exact position of the ICCL. Now, Lakela, as I said, no member organisation of Lakela responded to my um, queries But Licala did delete the material they had shared. So I will, of course, in the um, bottom of this podcast and on the group website, share a screenshot of that material. Because you wouldn't like people just to forget things that happened, Michael.
1: No, no. Not when you had an opportunity for shit No, you wouldn't.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, Michael. It's very important we take all of those opportunities. Well, I mean, you know, that's what they say, Michael, that the essence of journalism is afflicting the comfortable. And there are few people more comfortable in Ireland than the NGOs.
1: Yeah, well, no, the other half of that is, is comforting the afflicted. <laughs> I, I never got the sense, Kerry, that particularly was a large part of your CV.
0: Well, you know, Michael, gripped is a small operation, we have to specialise.
1: This is true. You can, there's only so much you can do.
0: On the show, we complain nearly exclusively about politicians. Nearly exclusively, Michael. But I saw something the, the other day which actually made me positive towards a politician... And quite negative towards just the people involved. And it was a story in The Independent about a, a finifal TD. So the finifal TD was Neve Smith. I think she's down in uh, Cavan Monaghan. The story is basically this the headline is TD told young man with congenital heart disease to ask GP for spare jab.
1: Not a great headline.
0: No, it's not a great headline. It's, it's a very negative headline. But what happened is this. A family reached out to Neve Smith, who again is a TD, and asked her was there anything they could do for their son? I'm not sure if it was the family or the son himself who reached out. So the son is disabled in some fashion, he has a congenital heart disease and a learning disability. He was worried about when he could get vaccinated, so he reached out to Neve Smith and asked about it, and Neve Smith told him that she would send his email on to the health minister, Stephen Donnelly and Ann Rabba, who's the minister, the disability minister. But what she also said was, I would ask you, if you've not already done so, to send a similar email to your, your GP describing how much you're missing your friends in the Special Olympics, and if he had a spare vaccine, could he consider you for it? You take good care to keep yourself safe and healthy. In the meanwhile, I'm delighted that you wrote to me and all of that jazz. Very, seems like a very positive letter. But the family were unhappy that they'd been asked to go to their GP, And he said after we got it and we went over it, every time we read it, we got more annoyed. We took our problem to a a TD, and she said we had to canvas our GP. And then the family went to the Independent about it. They went to a paper and made her look bad, because she had said she'd effectively do everything she could, considering that TDs have no control over this programme. Nor would we want them to. And then made the very reasonable point that, you know, if you haven't, you should contact your GP and tell them about your issues so that you will be considered for a vaccine, which is advice that's been given to many people because you want to ensure that your GP is aware of your issues so that if you go into one of the higher cohorts or you have an issue that they think needs to be dealt with, that they can then, you know, they are aware of it and they will keep you in mind. That seems incredibly prudent advice. And it's... I, Actually I just feel kind of annoyed on Smith's behalf that you here, you, know, you try and help someone. You do more than you have to, and then they go to a fucking national newspaper and try and make you look bad.
1: Again, we don't know if there were other things that were missing out, but the actual letter itself, it said, it seemed to me was very nicely written. It it made me like Neve Smith rather more. I don't know Neve Smith from a whole in the world. But I thought it was very nicely composed. The tone was pleasant. She had agreed she was going to, she'd going to pass on the details and try and maybe establish some contact with the Minister for Health and with Ann Rabbit. She has, precise, as you say, very. she has precisely nothing to do with the distribution, distribution of uh, the vaccines. And we absolutely wouldn't want her to. We, we don't want... The last thing in the world you want is some kind of political... Intervention being uh, operated. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine the reaction if it broke out that people were coming, the heavy with the hospitals or doctors to get X, Y, and Z boosted up the the list uh, of uh, of vaccine priorities? It would be absolutely, immense. all they said was, "Listen," and I think it's a very reasonable thing because particularly if you, I don't know their GP, but if you, it's a GP in a big practice, whatever, just to remind them because. He might have slipped off or else and this possibly from the context may have been what you the a, a spare, word a spare vaccine. It may be that you we know that one some of these vaccines, once they get out where they're open, they have a certain life span. You know, in a situation where there was a list and there was uh, nobody else available and he was on the list, uh somebody hadn't turned up the vaccine, the vaccine had to be used. We know that the vaccines have been thrown out. And that was certainly happening as, as recently as a couple of weeks ago. We, we heard that about that. So I I don't get it. I don't get the problem.
0: I think the family may have an actual complaint there. So if it is that, so they started vaccinating cohort four now at the minute, and cohort four is those deemed to be a very high risk, but were not covered by the earlier brackets due to their age. So generally 16 to, I think, uh, 69, I think. I'm not sure of the upper age bracket. There may be an uh, absolutely fair complaint there that their son should be considered in that due to his learning disability and his congenital heart defect. But that's not something Neve Smith controls. And I can understand them being frustrated, but to reach out to someone, to have that person do legitimately all they can for you and more than they had to, and then to just... Whatever their intent was in bringing this in a paper, it's just a bad look for Neve Smith, and it's sort of embarrassing. And I think they should have kind of realised that before they did it. So it just makes me feel the family are, um, doesn't, not, does not endear positive feelings towards them.
1: They, 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 they may must simply be a family which is very worried about their kid, and all they're interested in is getting the, a vaccination for their child, and that's a perfectly reasonable thing. And they're you know a little bit tunnel visioned about that. I just think that if on reflection, you ask yourself, well what is it you had expected them to do the only thing you could they could do would be as politicians interfere in the process, and that's actually the last thing you want them to be able to do
0: well no i i, I take your point, and obviously, yes, it's not a great time for the family, but you have to, i think my issue is the decision they came to at the end of it. If you got the initial...
1: Yeah, to go to the papers. Yeah, Yeah, if you got the initial
0: letter and you were unhappy with it, you go back to Neve Smith. You don't go to the Independent. At the point you go to the Independent, okay, now you've made this. This is now in a national newspaper.
1: From the Independent's perspective, I don't know what the story is. I mean, it's a bit clickbaity, isn't it?
0: Well, the, the story is that the TD told young man with congenital heart disease to ask GP for spare jab. Yeah. And spares in quotation marks there. Yeah. And if you read that headline on its own, you'd think it was a sort of contemptuous, off-the-shoulder comment of just... Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Someone comes to you to complain, I don't care, just ask them for a spare jab, as opposed to someone trying to help you. Anyway, just as, as I said, I thought I would mention it as it's usually we complain about politicians doing the wrong thing. Whereas this seems to be a politician trying to do the right thing and getting castigated for it
1: just just for for balance you said something nice about a minister i want to say something nasty about one uh, it's not a big deal uh, it's not a big story but it really it just annoyed me minister of state patrick o'donovan has called for cur- curbs on the sale of alcohol and for people to drown the shamrock with water on st patrick's day they would uh, he wants to stop people selling pints Takeaway pints on uh, on Patrick's Day. Well, but this is the man who was talking. Do you remember there was uh, some hoo ha before Christmas last year, Gary, about uh, controlling the sales of alcohol? Well, Mister Dolvin was one of those uh, sage voices, and uh, he was. He said. I'm very critical of the way we didn't deal with it. It was a massive failure. We didn't deal with the sale of alcohol before Christmas. We paid a very deep, dear price for it. The alcohol consumption was a large part of the problem of the transmission of COVID. I'm curious, have you seen the data on that?
0: Well, it would be difficult to see the data on that, Michael, because my understanding of the level of data we are collecting and basing our decisions on is that it's basically totally non-existent. So I would suspect that there is no data on that. I would suspect there is here, perhaps, a vague intuition, or as we used to call it, a hunch. Yeah,
1: I've been having a route around to see if we have data on this from other countries. Now, I can tell you, Gary, certain things will amaze you. For example, we can with confidence say that having... For example, small basement type gay clubs where people are dancing and sweating with low roofs and singing along and everybody's in contact that can be a source of transmission and I'm not specifically picking on gay clubs but rather there was the rather infamous case in Korea of the uh, the man that went through eight clubs on in the same night and you can imagine the kind of clubs we're talking about They're, not very, they're small, intimate spaces, people dancing very close together, I mean, humid, people singing along, uh, it's perfect. Now, that's, yes, we can be confident. After that, okay, another thing that's annoying me is this notion, this bloody notion that we're all, it's Paddy's Day, so we're all going to get fallen over drunk. There's no parade, there are no pubs to go to. So, Oh, the things that you would normally associate with the kind of celebrations that would involve people getting perhaps ex- excessively cheerful about Patrick's Day are not there. Just to be tedious about it, do you remember the figure of when we discussed very briefly uh, on another occasion alcohol consumption in la- last year, Gary?
0: Oh, yes, the, the ocean that had decreased by 6.6%.
1: Exactly. Alcohol, Ar- Action, alcohol Action Ireland who I'm sure are good friends with the with the, the minister. We're talking about an ocean of alcohol sweeping into Ireland's co- homes. When the actual total alcohol consumption in Ireland last year declined by six point six percent during this during the pandemic, this is another form of clickbait. How much more fucking control about the sale of alcohol do they want? I mean, does he want? I mean, there was a time, Gary. You're too young to remember. There was a time that Saint Patrick's Day was a dry day. It was like it was like Good Friday, was until recently. That day you couldn't buy drink. The pubs closed. If you wanted to drink a Paddy's day, you had to get in the train, or or go to the bar in the airport.
0: It was the government's choice to open the country during that period and to allow visits at all. Now, I'm not saying that was a good or a bad choice. What I'm saying is control of that choice rested entirely in the government. And so for the government to make a particular choice and then sort of go, well, it was the drink that was the problem, kind of sounds like you made a choice and that choice had consequences and you don't want to be blamed for those consequences.
1: Very much so. We, At the level of pubs opening, we know that, certainly as far as I could see, the pubs in, in my local area were absolute were were obeyed all of the various impositions. So you weren't talking about thronged pubs where people were lashing pints into them and in the place place staggering with drunks. That just wasn't wasn't happening. I, I, I think a lot of people would have been rather uncomfortable with the idea of getting into that kind of situation anyway. As regards the con- the, the, the the connection between Christmas and the increasing cases, I I'm very much of the opinion that you know, correlation, causation, what happens afterwards, post hoc, propter hoc and all that. We don't know yet, actually. Everybody's absolutely convinced. I'm, I'd hold me fire on that. We may eventually discover what was the cause of the spike after. Uh, and it may be connected, but I I wonder if it was the, the whole story. We shall find out. We don't know. But it's certainly, the notion that it was because everybody got, drunk and stripped off and started licking each other in public parks which but this has been a constant theme i suppose that's maybe partly what annoys me since the beginning of this they have this terror that the common people who are so fucking stupid that they can't be trusted to sit the right way in a toilet have to be babby you remember the first the reason for a long time we couldn't wear masks Gary was because if we did wear masks first of all we'd wear them the wrong way you know we'd wear them in the back of our heads rather than the front of them and if we did wear masks, it would engender an excessive sense of security, but at the same time would cause panic. So but the wearing of masks would call would engender a sense of panicky security, apparently. So but now, on the other hand, we have the religious belief that if you don't wear a mask at all time, it's going to draw the, the ire of the meteorite God, and the whole, the whole world will be destroyed. So we seemed, it's amazing the way these cultic, these, these cults evolve so quickly. But there was a belief that another thing. We couldn't have antigen They're now talking about having the rapid testing, the antigen testing. We couldn't have antigen testing. Why? Because people would misuse them and it would engender an excessive sense of security.
0: Michael, avoiding panic, as I think you will recall is the most important thing right now. Who was that? Was that Harris or was that um, Pascal?
1: It was all through the HSE. And it was Harris. It was Harris and it was H- I remember a senior person, senior manager of the HSE. We were having a, a, a minor discussion about the fact, if you remember when this started, across the country, I think, I don't know, we can't speak for all of them, but the, a large number of the care homes closed their doors. And changed the practice and said, "Okay, folks, we're not going to be having any more visits. We're going to have to close down for the time being, and then we'll see what we can do. And the instructions came down for the HSE. No, 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 no. Open up. Open up. Uh, We don't want to start engendering panic. The single biggest danger in this this pandemic is panic. Not the virus scary, which you might have thought, which then went on to kill hundreds and hundreds of elderly and vulnerable people in the care homes as people came into their to visit, and also as people were sent from care homes to hospitals, and they were put into general wards, and then they were sent from hospitals, where which would have become one of the, the most important locuses, not, by the way, pubs, nightclubs or restaurants, but probably the most dangerous place, or the easiest place for many people to get COVID over the last year has been in a hospital. He sent them back from the hospital to another nursing home, and then back to their own, creating a lovely triangular vector for the virus. Where, of course, nobody has PPE because the state has decided that only the state gets PPE. But then you blame the local... You blame the care homes for not providing PPE, even though you've told the suppliers not to give them any PPE. Listen, we've we've gone on through this before. <laughs> These people... and the, Enough, just enough. This notion that we're all just going to just jump into vats of drink because we're all so out of control. But it's such a low... It's such a handy narrative and i think the point you make here is actually you're putting your finger on it anything which transfers blame away from the incompetence and the poor, bad choices that the government has made and puts them on to the stupid silly feckless citizenry so too stupid to know what the difference between left and right the too stupid and and then inebriated of course when inebriated capable of making the most terrible choices inevitably and that's, of course, what, what could we do? The only thing we could have done was maybe stop them drinking altogether. But, you know, they wouldn't have let us do that. Something about civil liberties or there would have been too much of a hoo-ha. But, you know, it's their own fault, really. It is a, if, a phrase which has become very popular in recent years, Gary, is victim blaming. It seems to me that <laughs> this is a government in a, which loves a good bit of victim blaming. They have screwed us right royally with their own incompetence and failure. And then they turn out and blame us for going and dying on them. Happy St. Patrick's Day out there, and I'm sure it's a happy and sober one for you all. Are we going to talk about Leo, or are we going to wait until the end of the police investigation?
0: There is. I will... I mean, obviously, I imagine people have heard about this, but I will mention one part about it that I I think is interesting. Um, So, obviously... The, uh, the guard investigation into the leak by Leo Varadkar is, is ongoing. Apparently, they're, either, they're getting the file ready to go to the DPP, who will make a decision as to prosecute. So I remember when we were talking about this originally, and I was saying people were talking about the Official Secrets Act. And I was saying I could see no way in which Leo had breached the uh, Official Secrets Act because the Official Secrets Act basically lays out when you can um, when you can send things and the authorization you require. And I was arguing that the Taoiseach can um, – I mean, one would expect the Taoiseach can authorise anything.
1: Pretty well, yeah.
0: They are the highest position. It's the democratically elected leader. That would make sense. However, what I've started hearing recently and what I understand the you are actually investigating – is Section 7 of the Criminal Justice Corruption Offences Act 2018. Now, I've had a look at that as well. My layman's reading of it is that it would be immensely difficult to prove he uh, he breached it. But what it says is that um, if anyone sends over confidential information they obtain, in the due to their position, whether it's an office or employment or whatever it is, but it would cover Leo's position, for the purpose of corruptly obtaining a gift, consideration, or advantage for himself or herself or for any other person. So the issue there is that it would need to be shown that he had acted corruptly. That's the key point there. Not whether or not he sent over information, but whether or not...
1: There would have to be a, a benefit in a quid pro quo. Yeah. It's a little a little bit like a sort of government insider trading. using a, Using information you have in your position... As a member of the government or as a permanent government to give that information to someone else who will benefit from it and then you as a quid pro quo would benefit from that
0: the act defines corruptly as acting with an improper purpose so leo has said he sent it on for the public good effectively yeah and you'd have to show that that wasn't done that requires showing of intent which would be immensely difficult unless you had let's say Additional messages from Leo.
1: Yeah, you'd have some emails or something where he. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: So even if the DPP goes forward for prosecution, I would imagine it would be nearly impossible to um, to actually show that he did breach that requirement.
1: I I agree with you. I think on the face of it, that's, that seems likely. The question is, other people have been saying in a in a shall we say in about or what aboutery, had this been anybody else, and had this not been in a different government. Uh, a different party, having the under-investigation by the Guardi, that he just would have gone automatically. He would have either recused himself or he would have been sacked. And the number of Fianna Fáilers, Gary, they are less than gruntled by the whole affair and are pointing out that two two ministers from Fianna Fáil had to be laid on the sacrificial altar for doing things which in Fianna Fáil's opinion anyway are far less severe, or lar- far less serious than what are being considered an investigation by the Guardian in the case of Untonished. And they are very grumbly and numbly about the whole thing. They think it's bloody blue shirts, double standards.
0: Obviously, they're right. If this was anyone else, that person would be gone. But my answer to that is, so what? That's politics.
1: <laughs> he isn't He isn't somebody else. He is who he is.
0: You deal with the situation you have, and the leader of Fine Gael is going to go either when forced to, or he wants to.
1: Or not at all.
0: Or not at all. And all this sort of, well, if it was anyone else, they'd be going, like, yeah, but you could force those people to go, and you can't force him to go. Well, you see, they don't,
1: yeah, the problem is, and this is the reason why he can't be shifted is, he knows that they don't have it in them to try and make him go. Actually if the backbenchers in Fianna Fáil were serious about getting rid of him, they could. They could make enough noise. They could make enough hoo ha and ha. They could put enough pressure on Martin. They could make enough dirt to the papers. They could make this story last longer, a long enough time in the in the public, to make it untenable for for Martin for for uh, for Leo to stay. He'd have to come up with a classic. While I have done absolutely nothing wrong and I am perfectly happy with my blah blah blah, in order for the proper governance of the country to be able to be executed at this terribly difficult time. I, I'm going to recuse myself because I've become a source of distraction from the government and my colleagues at this were not a very important time. So I'm, I'm going to take a step back. They could do it, but they're not going to. And he knows that because they're weak. They're weak and they're scared and they're frightened and they're terrified that there might be a general election. Gary, can you imagine it? A general election? You know, have you ever seen those clips of video of Film in the very early days in the Second and the First World War when the Allied troops discovered precisely what it meant to try and charge German machine gun nests. But I think that's much how Fianna Fáil TDs right now regard the prospect of. A general election in the near future, and nobody's looking to charge those the, the, that particular machine gun nest.
0: And I mean, Sinn Fein are going to try and make hay with this, and absolutely they have scope to do so. Problem, I think, there is that Sinn Fein have also had a couple of issues involving criminal investigations of their members.
1: I think the public has priced all that stuff in. I think that's discounted.
0: I think you're right that that is the advantage there—a big point of Finaval particularly, or sorry, Fine Gael particularly, has been, we are the party of you know, respectable law and order. Yeah. That's not something Sinn Féin claims to represent. So to then turn around and do this, it looks bad. But it doesn't look sufficiently bad to force anyone's hand.
1: It is a distract. It is slightly distracting time. And also, the, the other thing about, it's one of those stories that I think makes far more sense to journalists and to politicians. At the end of the day, I think for most people, it's just... He said something. Told him something that, and it, what he the, something. It's not like he he's been discovered leaking our nuclear secrets or the location of the of the uh, the hidden gold under the sea. It's not. I don't think it's the kind of story that really excites Joe public. Uh certainly not more than the fact that his astrazeneca vaccination, which was supposed to happen on Tuesday, has been cancelled. I think he's less, slightly more exercised by that at the moment anyway.
0: Also, a story like this in normal times is a very different beast than that story now, where there is so much news and there is so much to be concerned with. Yeah. that is very easy for anything to just slip through the cracks. I mean, as I said, you can complain all about whether or not this is being dealt with because of his status, and absolutely it is. But this is politics. This is how this goes. Phil Hogan was also removed from his position due to his position. Yes. And I mean, you know, if uh, Finnfal have stood there and let Mihal Martin do what he wants for so long, and <laughs> haven't gotten rid of him, I'm sure they can perfectly understand why Leo wouldn't be gotten rid of by his own people. And I'm sure that will be a great comfort to them in these times, Michael. Particularly now that um, Miho Martin has said he he will support moving the age of voting down to sixteen. <sighs> I wonder how many votes are there for Fianna Fáil in the 16 to 18 K age category, Michael?
1: I'd say around 17, maybe 19. I, not, not many, Gary. I saw this reported yesterday. And can you tell, did I, did I dream this? There was a report which said, we've now reached the point where Fianna Fáil, Philly Gale, the Labour Party, the Social Democrats and Sinn Féin all support lowering the age of the franchise to 16.
0: Yeah, and for most of the left-wing parties, that would actually be a pretty good move because children, Michael, not paying their own way, not terribly positive to things like, you know, fiscal conservatism. Uh,
1: we should distinguish because I know there may be differences. I know some people will be advocating for the law the franchise only for, at the beginning anyway, local government and for the European elections, uh, with the general elections coming up later on. Some it's the whole job. I don't care. This is the worst idea of my lifetime in politics, and I don't mean my life in politics. I mean my life, full so we'll stop, in politics. This is the worst. This is this is worse than Dev's idea of fighting the economic war. This is this is worse than Napoleon's idea of fighting a war on two fronts and deciding to go to to invade Russia, uh without bringing some furry boots with him. This is a, I don't know if I'm communicating my sense, Gary, that this is a bad idea. This is not a good idea. This is a bad idea. This is a very, very bad idea. Why would anybody think this was a good idea? What has anybody seen who has gone on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok in the last, that a 16-year-old is going to add to the depth, weight and intelligence of political life in this country? Now you might say, what, 21-year-olds? I'd say yes, because I think that we could look at raising the franchise to the age of 25. Lowering to 16? Are they high? Are they all drunk? Have they all... Have, are they all sleeping with each other in the dawn? And they've now reached that stage of syphilis, where it starts to eat your brain. You know, there's that stage of if syphilis when it goes through the body, and then it starts to eat the brain, and then you get hallucinations... And psychotic episodes is that what's happening here that all the everybody in the doll is actually secretly just out of boredom and I, we would have to be boredom because let's face it. I mean they're, this is not a good-looking bunch of people. they've been sleeping with each other now everybody has has got fourth stage syphilis and they're just going mad and this is just a consequence of that. That's a reasonable explanation actually had I think that's the explanation I'm going with, Gary. They're all syphiliptic and mad.
0: So why are they doing this? Do they believe in the idea that this just needs to be done on a matter of principle?
1: I knew a fellow called Gerard Gary around thirty years ago who took acid and believed he could fly off the top of a four story building. The thing was, he was absolutely, his belief was a strong one, but he was not tr- it was he was not right. And I'm just saying that this is much the same as Gerard Smith, I think they may believe in the state of brain rot that they are in. But if you're asking me to speculate on the, un- the unlikely scenario that this isn't the result of uh, brain damage caused by syphilis, then I have no clue. We live in a world which increasingly worships young people and youth. I suppose if you're Sinn Féin, are the Greens, you might say, well, this is, we have done polling and we're going to pick up support from these people. What if, what's a 40-year-old voter going to think of this suggestion? Or a 30-year-old voter? Does this make you look better with other voters? Because this isn't going to happen today or tomorrow, if this ever were to happen. It would happen after an election anyway. It would be part of a manifesto thing. Might even be a vote on it. But I've no clue. I, 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 has there been polling done on this? Has Have we discovered that actually the idea of lowering the, the age of franchises... I haven't met anybody who thinks it's a good idea. No, I'm obviously not meeting very many people, and the people I meet, maybe it's a self-selecting sample. Have you an idea
0: why they're doing it? I think because we have effectively acquired a morality that is based entirely on the idea of personal autonomy as its highest value, and in many cases its only value, and on that understanding of morality and of uh, most things, actually. There's no real reason not to extend the voting age to anyone who wants to vote.
1: Well, I could give you the reason that if you want to talk about autonomy, that's fine. But autonomy, to the extent that it it is, if it it is possible, demands the prerequisite, a certain amount, uh, a capacity for judgment. No, it doesn't. When you say autonomy, what are we talking about? Are we talking simply about the possession of a body?
0: No, we're just talking about, you know, people should be allowed to do what they want, Michael. And as long as they don't hurt anyone else, then that's fine. But they will hurt other people. Only in the aggregate.
1: No, the aggregate is made up of individuals. Other than that, okay, we know that sixteen-year-olds do not have the same capacity for for consequent for for, ta- for consequential thinking. They don't. They have poorer impulse control. We know that the brain, when it comes to that part of the brain which deals with abstract ideas and consequences and control. That keeps going in developing into the early 20s. It could be 21, 22, 23 before that's when I mean 18 is probably too young already.
0: I'm not disagreeing with you, but I already think that about many of the people who can currently vote who I don't think should be allowed to vote.
1: If you're 16 and you go and you leave school and you're 18 or 19, you do a four year degree, then you do a two year master's, I mean it's going to be you could be the guts of 10 years before you're even looking at coming into the, the workforce.
0: Listen, Michael, we all accept that the best system will be one in which only people over 35 who own property can vote. But that's not the world we live in.
1: That is the best system.
0: Or there no, being no voting. That would also be pretty good. It worked for many years.
1: Seriously, though. Just for a moment, seriously. The thing that got me about this was not that, for example, I, I, I have been aware that members of Fianna Fáil have been talking about this. A certain a senator that I know, have been has been advocating for this in Philip I didn't I hadn't heard anything from Finnegall about it. I had heard bits and pieces from the Greens and maybe Social Dems comments but nothing else. But to see the notion that all of the parties are pretty well lined up on the policy, that baffles me. Because that does does that represent I mean, should we be actually worried that this may actually happen? I don't think so. No. I think that when they this is one of those things, oh, I'm, I'm talking nonsense now, people don't actually do anything. I was going to say people would react and people would complain and people would stop it happening, but they won't. They'll complain and they'll quench they'll when it's happened. Or they'll wake up one day amazed to discover that it has happened. Because most of the stuff that happens in this country happens without people realizing that it's ever happened at all. Is it just a joke? Is it just a gesture? Is this a performance? Is this, a, is this political theatre?
0: it's it is merely one of those ideas that have become acceptable and i think it's very difficult in the current framework to argue against it i think also that the political parties will say very nice things about it but if they're smart they will also have internally polled on this and i think a number of the ones that will come out in favor of it will also know that this will do them no benefits if these people actually vote And so everyone will talk a good game about it, but it would just prove surprisingly difficult to move on. The current, as I said, the current basis for most things is just based on the personal good as opposed to the common good. And on that understanding, what argument is there against this? If a 16 year old comes to you and says they want to vote and our only metric is that they are consenting and that they have decided they want to do this. What argument is there against it?
1: Well, capacity to consent. My, well, for my, my capacity to consent to them, voting, for example, is part of it.
0: Many adults do not have great capacity to consent, do not have great understanding of consequences. Many adults historically would not have been allowed to vote. They are now allowed to vote because it's considered a universal right.
1: Yeah, but you know, Gary, you know perfectly well what you're doing is you're turning two arguments around there. One is our argument, which is that those people who that, that there is there's a substantial p- group of people who who are capable of doing X, Y, and Z. Unfortunately, if you if you make the, the universalizable, then you will have a consequence. It's an undesired consequence, but it's a consequence. What you're talking about here is making an undesired consequence the actual aim of the legislation, which is the 60. I suppose the, the first thing is you say. They are children. Uh, I mean, you, could, you could say, you could deny it on the principle of that. They are children. Children don't vote.
0: That's not an argument. That's, that's just a, this category doesn't get to vote. Not why it doesn't get to vote or why it shouldn't get to vote.
1: Contained within the notion child, if you unpack the idea what is a child, then that will tell you why they don't vote.
0: Well, I think they would tell you, Michael, that they are not children. They are young people. And people is part of that term.
1: So is a 10 year old. A, yo- a 10 year old is young people. Okay. Let, uh, let's reverse the question. You are arguing for lowering the age to 16. Why stop there? What? Unless there unless this is a purely arbitrary number, there must be a reason why you're lowering it to 16. What is that reason?
0: It will be an arbitrary cutout point, but the principles, if accepted, could be applied to any age. At there all. There are
1: no principles. What, what's the principle?
0: People, in general, should be able to vote.
1: What's people?
0: The human person, Michael.
1: The human being, the human person. so once out of the birth canal, in with the pencil, and into the voting booth.
0: would bother me no more than the current system. Oh,
1: absolutely. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that it would. And frankly, I think I would. And most of the time, I think I would prefer eight-year-olds to be voting than than sixteen-year-olds, or indeed eighteen-year-olds. But we, that ship has sailed. No, no, no. Once I just, I'm trying to work out what the principle here is, and I think the, the most fruitful way of trying to establish that principle is to ask those advocating for the lowering of the ages, why stop at 16? I think that for clarity, that will tell us where where we are.
0: If you go to the National Youth Council of Ireland, Michael, they have nine good reasons that you should vote at 16. The third of which is simply, why not? (laughs) But they do make the point that a 16-year-old can leave school, seek full-time employment, be liable for tax, and obtain a license to drive a tractor. How can they not be entrusted with the civic responsibility of voting?
1: What is the logical connection between any of those things? And has somebody has nobody ever told the council, the National Council, you cannot derive an oath from an is?
0: No taxation without representation.
1: I am willing to sacrifice the taxes paid by sixteen year olds, Gary.
0: But they do pay taxes. If they do. Would you would you allow those sixteen year olds who pay taxes to vote?
1: Well, I'd like to see how much tax they're paying for a start. I'd, I'd be curious. I'd be genuinely curious to see how much tax has been paid by 16-year-olds. I mean, if you're talking income tax, I mean, direct, indirect taxation is another story.
0: Yeah, the, the first, I will say the first reason they give for why we should lower the age of voting is horrifying. Yes. Because the first one, the first reason is just generate greater interest in politics.
1: Oh, God. I've never known this thing. Why do we want to do that? You know this, we have to make voting easier and easier all the time. I mean, you, have, you could be able to vote online. I've never understood. Why the hell do you want people deciding who's going to form the next government? And by encouraging people who can't be bothered to put shoes on and walk all the fucking way to the polling booth to put an X on or a 1 or 2 on a sheet. People so disengaged and lazy that they won't get up before 10 o'clock at night to, to go and vote. These are the people that you want to encourage to get out. And that's a good positive thing.
0: Another reason that they give why sixteen year olds should be able to vote is because young people are informed and they, for example, undertake courses at school, such as CSPE.
1: Communism. They're trained in communism and postmodernism.
0: Now you're just saying random buzzwords.
1: No, I'm saying I'm saying this is this is why they should until they're well, you can do two things. You can get them paying tax at the highest rate for around ten years, or you can beat them gently with wet socks foot with wet sand socks full of wet sand for on two years till it gets knocked out of them
0: I think your issue here Michael is that you think this would be bad for the country and my issue here is I just think this would be bad for certain political parties
1: I think it would be suicidally bad for the country I mean so, 16 year olds savages bitter, bitter they would set up their own you know these, the, you know where they're going wrong these political parties they're they, they have, they're a fundamental lack of imagination the 16-year-olds would set up their own parties. They would organise their own thing. They would get into power. Remember, it was these were the people who were running the Cultural Revolution, Gary. It wasn't the guys with the long white beards. It was the 16-year-olds that were running the Cultural Revolution. And I have no doubt that the capacity for outrageous moral cruelty that was displayed by 16-year-olds in Beijing and, and in Shanghai would be exactly replicable. In Ireland, in Docky or in Dingle or Donegal today.
0: Merely allowing them to vote doesn't mean they're actually going to vote.
1: Have you seen? Have you read uh, Lord of the Flies"? I have, yes. Well, that's I'm trying. Everybody who thinks that these people should be allowed to vote should have, should be Lord of the Flies.
0: Where would these children even get a pig's head?
1: Oh, they'd get a pig's head, all right. They cut one off, piggy, and that's where they get it.
0: I actually have. I have no strong opinion on lowering the voting age at all. I think, given the current way we approach things, it's probably inevitable that it will happen.
1: You just want to burn the house down, and you want to burn down quicker rather than ha- having to hang around and wait for it.
0: Anything that shows people that the whole voting thing was a terrible idea, I'm generally in favour of. Universal voting was just a. Um, Terrible, terrible idea. Lots of people don't want to vote, and I think we should respect that.
1: Absolutely. I think it should be encouraged. You don't vote three times in a row, you get toffees five times in a row, maybe a long weekend in West Cork. No, I think they're definitely, I think they should encourage those rather than desperately going out with lamps trying to get them to come in and encourage them. They're engaged. They do courses in school. Oh, sweet. Seriously, it says that. This is one of the reasons why. We because they're engaged and they're informed.
0: As I said, Michael, the general principle of the age is personal autonomy and the people should be able to do what they want as long as they consent to it. And on that basis, that would seem to simply say that if you want to vote, you should be able to vote regardless of your age.
1: The, the, the other side of, the, of the, the principle of autonomy is that you don't do harm to
0: others. Yeah, but you see the problem there, Michael, is the idea that you could do harm to others by voting kind of undermines democracy.
1: Even thinking about this is doing harm to me. Even considering this is doing harm to me. It is paining me. It is hurting me. I I feel like I have a hangover already and I haven't touched a drop. Oh, God. This is the end. I mean, really, it is. When every large political party in the country uh, is... Is supporting this? Then you think no, it's true. They're all, they're all cretinous idiots. They have neither capacity nor desire to reflect and actually, what is the best thing for themselves, let alone for the country. But this means that they can, oh, they can go on six one news and have photographs taken with young people, and uh, this, this will show people that they are good. Not just good, but somehow forward, I don't know, forward thinking. Yet the last thing this is, is a forward thinking move. You know what? Laugh, fuck it. Do it. Maybe they'll surprise us. Can they be any worse? You see, the thing is, Gary, people say that. As I say it myself, and then I reflect, actually. People say this all the time, and have said this all the time in history. Could it be any worse? The the thing is, Gary, it can be worse. It can be worse. It can be a lot worse. And it can be far more, it can be worse even than we imagined it could have been worse. You see, that you're setting yourself up, it's, it's almost hubristic. It's an invitation to the universe to say, ah, how bad can it be? And the universe's response was, how bad can it be? I'll show you how bad this can be.
0: Well, I think, Michael, in, in all of this, we have to remember the one guiding principle of democracy.
1: Michael D. Higgins is president and will, pre- will protect us all?
0: No, 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 no. That in a democracy, you get what you deserve.
1: I get what they deserve. We all get buttered with the same torture.
0: And isn't that uplifting, Michael?
1: It is. It's deeply uplifting. And I'm glad that I have been able to, by my own little contribution of pain and terror to this whole situation, have been able to support the democratic process in the island.
0: So just um, just as a very final point, the AstraZeneca stoppage, the notification that many, many countries are going to stop using AstraZeneca while they investigate a um, particular issue that's arisen with blood clots. I just want to touch on this, not the actual ban itself and the medical reasons for it. The EMA, the European Medicines Association, has come out and said that um, just keep vaccinating with it. We'll look into it and keep vaccinating. The numbers of blood clots don't appear outside the bounds of what one could expect. Um, And then of course you also have the benefit of not becoming seriously ill or dying of COVID-19.
1: Now, just for clarity, Gary, actually, we have real world, it's not just, we're no longer relying on trials, we have re- real world information. And the real world information suggests that actually in, in the sample of the 17 million people who have been vaccinated, the levels of clotting occurring in people post-vaccination is slightly below what you would actually expect in the general population of non-vaccinated people. So it's not just that it's not higher, it's It is markedly not higher.
0: Well, what I did want to mention is that um, just a a small little aside on it that may be perhaps influencing some of the stoppages. The European vaccine rollout, when seen against the UK, the US, Israel, other first world countries, is um, an omni-shambles. It is terrible. It's just not going well at all. It started later. It's not rising as quickly it's all over the shop. And we've already seen, particularly the Germans and the French, attack AstraZeneca when it looked like there were going to be problems before. I and mean, that looks like it drove down vaccine take-up in their own countries and was sort of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But this also provides a great deal of political cover if you start missing vaccine targets moving forward, or at least for the next while. And it's the same thing they did when we were so far behind others in actually approving the use of the vaccine. They would say, well, if, you know, if they rush, there are potential risks, we must hold ourselves to the highest safety standards. And it's exactly what they're going to do now as well. They'll say exactly the same things, even though the EMA has said, look, just keep vaccinating, um, because when you actually look at the trade-offs, this is very clearly the better option.
1: Actually, Gary, the, the slightly the comedy element in this is not just that the EMA, and we have said from the beginning, it's, oh, it's the EMA, it's all... Oh, the EMA doesn't approve it, we can't approve it. So we couldn't locally approve a vaccine that hadn't been approved by the EMA, for example. But each of the countries that has done in in this domino effect, the ones that were, who stopped at the beginning, have now gone back, like, say, Germany, and have examined the situation and said, it's okay, folks, there's nothing to see here, and we're... But each... (laughs) But each country feels like the next one has to do it anyway. So we're now repeating and repeating and repeating the same uh, examination of the same data that the EMA has already examined. And it happened, we decided to stop in Ireland because of data which was coming not from Ireland, but from data which was released really late at night from Norway. There was something rather dramatic, wasn't there? It was late night in Norway when the data came out, and we're going to the same data that they did in Germany and in Denmark and in the Netherlands and in France, and we will reach the same conclusion. And we know that. I mean, there is there's nothing here for it. But they have decided to do this bizarre dance. We couldn't, for example, go outside the EMA to approve Sputnik Five because that would be very bad. But in this case, we've decided that we can go outside the EMA to stop using the AstraZeneca vaccine. Even though, Gary, it's not like we were madly bullen ahead of schedule with the vaccine in the first place.
0: It's also, I mean, a massive misuse of the idea of the precautionary principle. Interestingly enough, there is uh, no clear universal definition of the precautionary principle. But the general idea is that sometimes you will have to act, to control something or do something even before there's a causal link or clear scientific evidence in order to ensure protection. The problem here, Michael, is that um, that's great when you're choosing to do something and not doing it has no consequence. But when you're choosing to stop something where the consequence is people dying, yes. it's sort of a different ball game.
1: Normally, again, in the, in, in the PP, it, the idea is you're avoiding something happening, which is really bad. But in this case, you're not. Here, you're, you're, you're stopping doing something. Which is actually bad and potentially very bad. In order to avoid something which is probably, even if it, even if it was true, not that bad at all, because the benefit, the cost-benefit analysis would still be, keep it would to keep on vaccinating. It's not good. But it, But the question. The, okay, go back to the first question. So why? Why are they doing this?
0: Well, I wouldn't be surprised if this is they just haven't figured out how to the idea of relative risk or relative impact here. And they're just saying, well, the normal course of events, if this was the case, we would stop for a while to see what would happen. And no one has gone, this isn't the normal course of events, is it? There is a consequence to stopping usage of this, which would not be there otherwise. So if if every time something potentially comes up that does not look serious and you stop, there is a balance here. And you will just end up hurting yourself.
1: Is it because Boris has been claiming AstraZeneca as an English company and because the English have been so successful at rolling out? Is it simple simple dog-in-the-manger politics?
0: Why not? I mean, a great deal of the political future of people in Europe, a lot of governments, hinges entirely upon how this vaccine goes. The point where people start going, how much of the bad things have happened? are due to political ineptitude rather than COVID-19 in and of itself, is a moment that there are many governments in Europe which has rather never happened. So this vaccine rollout needs to go as near to perfectly as possible. And if it's not going to do that, something needs to be blamed for it happening like that. Something that doesn't reflect on the governments. We're actually doing relatively well when you look at the European levels. It's the European Union as a whole, because it depended on the European Union which is doing this badly. Anyway, I think we will leave it there. We will be back on Friday, and then Sunday, and then on and on until the heat death of the universe, I suppose.
1: Until Friday, or the end of the universe, whichever comes sooner. Mind yourselves.
0: All the best.